Folks, you know how we do in No Pixel Dark Podcast. We have the heavy hitters coming on. And I told you, this season, we're not going to stop. We're going to be the best of the best, best of Baltimore, or in best of Maryland. This episode, we have this brother that he's doing so many big things. You see the books he got right here. He's doing a lot of great things out here. Next voice you hear, Mr. KD. We made a pledge to do what's best for the health of our communities, and we continue to deliver on it every day for every one of our members. With access to a network of over 1 million providers, rewards for living healthy, and more care options than ever, we are CareFirst Blue Cross Blue Shield, and we are changing healthcare for all that we serve. At CareFirst, it's not just our name, it's our promise. Welcome to the No Picks of the Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Folks, I told you, we have heavy hitters today. Mr. Kitty, how are you, sir? Oh, man, I'm doing wonderful. I'm glad we could make this happen, brother. Yeah, definitely. You the hardest working brother out here. Hey, you want to know something? Somebody got to be, right? (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm sure you can relate to hard work, so, you know, I really appreciate that coming from you. No, you are everywhere. My my peoples know who you are. They love you. They're like, that's family. I'm like, yeah, he's doing big things. And they said, they said, you got voice like an angel. That's what I heard. (laughs) That's what I heard. I don't know. Is that true or not? Yeah, I got some vocals. You got some vocals? I definitely got some vocals. <laughs> All right. You know, got some vocals. So tell people a little bit about you. Are you from Maryland? Tell us a little bit of your background. Wow. You got about a month? No, we don't got a month. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm from East Baltimore. Okay. And um, I grew up Miami Street in Patterson Park. So my background, I actually started out as a musician. So me and my mom, we started... <clears throat> doing talent shows in East Baltimore and, um, you know, just moving around the city and, and back. I, I started doing music in like 89. Mm. So I'm from East Baltimore and um, we uh, we just built this whole entertainment system. Like we had a small little record label and, you know, we were selling music and um, that's how I originally started everything. Just me and my mother, we started music first. What kind of music were you singing back in the day? R&B. R&B, yes. okay. So I started, actually, I started out dancing. But it started because of one of my, I went to Tinch Tillman Elementary School. Oh, oh. So I'm really from East Baltimore, <laughs> right? So we started, um, you know, with my teacher. My teacher, I used to sit in class and, like, say crazy stuff they would say. I, like, I was the dream big person, right, mm-hmm. as a kid. So the, the teacher talked to my mom and she said, you know, we had a she, we have a talent show coming up. And she recommended that I get in the talent show. And I my mother put me in there and I was like imitating Michael Jackson. And I actually won. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And that's how everything started. Okay. So then from there, was there was there a person that you used to look up to in the music industry who were like, I want to be like them? Was it, was it want to be like Mike or cause I'm a Prince guy? So okay. I, I, okay. I like Mike, but I like Prince. I, I, I like them both. But, but <laughs> no, Michael Jackson was definitely a big inspiration. Okay. And um, he was someone that I modeled after. So I used to imitate all of his dances. And in the studio, it's funny, looking at your production studio, this is how I started. Mm. Like we would have production in my mother's basement. You know, we would go to Bill's Music Store. Shout out to Bill's Music wow. Store. Man, that place was like a blessing because that was our first introduction to the music business of doing things at a professional level. We used to go to Bill's music store and look at the equipment, 
the the drum machines and the the, the uh, keyboards and the bass guitars and and the drums and all of the instruments and that's when I actually was introduced to like real production. Wow. And it started to make things come to life. I remember we brought a microphone first time getting like a real microphone. So first we re I I really used to use a comb, like use a brush and wow. all of that and then we started um with real equipment and when we got the equipment as you know having production once you actually get the real equipment to most people it's like okay it's equipment but not to content creators mm -hmm. artists musicians equipment is like life or death facts it brings your creativity your gift and your talent to like life for real in real life so we ended up getting a microphone and got some other equipment and that was the launch of they used to call me bootsy so okay. Everybody in East Baltimore, they don't call me KD, so they call me Bootsy. Bootsy. Okay. Yeah. Now I I read something. I don't know if I I heard it or read it. They said you were on Motown. Was that yes. correct? Yeah. So I know I skip a little skip it around, but yeah, I remember I read that you're in Motown. I heard you yeah, were an so artist. My, so we uh we were assist for sisters only. Ninety six. Okay. And we met a guy named Brian Dickens, who's a pretty huge promoter. He was a promoter for like Yolanda Adams, uh, Casey and Jojo, a whole bunch of big stars. And me and my mother, we had got on a bus and we went down there. And um, he was looking at uh, looking at me and my mom. So we was in the hallway and my mother looking at him. And she said, you must be big time because he had on like diamonds and jewelry. Mm. So I'm young, you know, I, I don't, I'm just there, right? So she walked up to Brian and she's like, my son, he has talent. She just assumed he's somebody important because he had on all this jewelry, right? And um, actually he turned, he ended up being the promoter for the concert. Wow. And from Brian, uh, I sung for him and he's like, can y'all meet me in Baltimore, Morgan State? Because I have Vicky Winans coming to Morgan State. Mm. And he's like, we from Baltimore. Right. So when we came down there, we had dinner with him, and he connected me with Stacy Lattisall, brother, and that's my best friend uh, to this day. So Stacy Lattisall, brother, I didn't know who Stacy Lattisall was. My mother knew who Stacy Lattisall right. was. She was a big mega star. So we uh, connected with Goldie, and I started going to the studio in Maryland, and um, that's when I got into the game. I, it's funny. I remember like Tank. And Genuine used to be down there, Raheem Devine. Tank wasn't a big star yet. But um, that's I started recording, and, and uh, we put a group together. First, we was called Majesty, and then we changed the name to Prophet Jones. Yeah. And um, Goldie sent a demo to University Music, and at the time, they had just signed with Universal. Mm. And um, we at first, we was on Interscope first. Okay. Yeah, so we were on Interscope. Then we had management with Overbrook Entertainment, um, Will Smith, um, and James Last of the company. And um, we we were living out. Then they, we went out to L.A. Mm -hmm. And we was on the Jamie Foxx bait soundtrack with Jamie, Missy Elliott, uh, like a Fat Joe, a whole bunch of people. Wow. So we were on the bait soundtrack that came out. And then things kind of went left after Interscope. And then um, uh, Russell Simmons actually helped us get signed to Motown. Nice, nice, nice. When you look back at all that, does it seem like a, like a, like a long time or it was like a dream or just like this really happened? I mean, 
I call LA 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 Line is crazy out there. Yeah, it, it's a whole it, different world out there. No, it definitely was a dream. You, you have to think. So my father went to prison when I was young. Mm-hmm. So a big part of my life, my father was in prison. And we, you know, we, we, we didn't have money. You know, we down in East Baltimore, my mother working in the hospitals, struggling, cleaning floors, trying to make, you know, ends meet. So it was really, really, really rough. And in my family, no one had ever traveled or, you know, done any of those things. But my mother, she always had like big dreams despite her environment and her, you know, circumstances. And, um... She was like really different, and and actually my other aunt, she was like she may not want to do the music, but she always was like dress nice and things like that. So, no, it was it was a dream come true. I mean, I remember the first time I went to California, I just I was like numbed for like ten fifteen minutes. I was stuck because me and my cousin, we I would go down to Flag Projects, and we used to look at Eddie Murphy Beverly Hills Cop, and we would see that <laughs> Beverly Hills sign. Yep. So when I went to California, I took a picture in front of the Beverly Hills sign, right? Back then, you didn't have the cell phone, so I mailed it mm. to my cousin mm. for him to see it. Yeah. So he could see that I was really there, and um, it was mind-blowing, man. I mean, I'd never seen $100 million homes. <laughs> we in California, you know, 50, all in big houses and I, I remember when Black Eyed Peas was out there. So yeah, it was overwhelming. Would you what would you learn from that time period of your life? What would you say when you look back at it? Coming out of it, it's it was one of the hardest parts of my life, right? But when I look back, it was the most valuable part of my life. Okay. Because you have to think about this. This was before social media. Right. Right. I always right. say, man, if I had social media, I would have had 10 million followers. Cause we but was, did you really run social media back in the day, though? Did you no, really? No, we were living in real life. <laughs> yeah. You didn't really yeah. run all that. So the stuff yeah. that we were doing, because you, you got to think about it. Everything is already staged. Right. Right. We were setting the stage mm, back then. Right. When you look at even No Limit and all these um, Rockefeller and all these musicians and people coming up at that time in the 90s. We were setting the stage. Right. The stage is set now, right? Mm-hmm. So the things that we did back then would have been even more of a big deal. Right. If it was to be shown in real time, like we have social media. Right. So when you see artists now, they it's a lot of great things happening, but the stage is not being set because it's been set. Right. Because you got you guys. We were at a time where where culture was evolving. Right. Right. Where things people had never seen before. Mm. Just think about if it was social media. I remember being in New York City and uh, Jay-Z and Dame Dash was up at the office with us. And it's crazy when I think back, I'm like, man, like before, you know, even the Jay-Z became who he is, like being in New York City, being around Swiss Beats and, you know, working with some of the producers that I work with uh, and seeing in real life. You know, a Jay-Z, a Dame Dash in the office, right? Mm-hmm. In the universal office. And people coming and going and all these different times where this great music was coming out. And, and you know, we were evolving as a culture. And even we used to have a sponsorship with Bait with uh, Fat Farm. Oh, wow. When, when before, when the fat, when they had the showrooms in, in New York City, mm-hmm. before the fashion industry shifted. So we got to see like, all of that stuff in real time. So 
it was definitely looking back i learned a lot from touring you know from doing national tv being on bet and you know being on the billboard charts and it's funny when soul train had their war somebody sent me a clip that i was on soul train oh wow me i was on soul train with master p and christine million and um you know just looking back at those moments and 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 you know, I've done probably about twenty five hundred radio interviews, mm. yeah, and um, been on sets and hours in studios and tours and all that before social media. I like that, but you know what? <laughs> I, but but that's cool because you know what? It was genuine. It was authentic. Yeah. You weren't showing off for everybody. It was this is who you were. Yep, I really appreciate. it. So, folks, hold that. That's just, we're gonna find out about these books, how these came about. Right. When you give to United Way, your gift could be the first spark of something bigger. It can help someone find, interview for, and get hired for a job, and provide follow-up services for success. It can break down educational barriers, and give that extra help to a struggling student within school support programs. Give today. Spark something bigger. Are you or someone you love in need of mental health support? For All Seasons is now offering same-day therapy appointments with no wait list. Through the For All Seasons open access program, you can walk in for mental health services and begin therapy in the same visit. For All Seasons accepts all insurances and provides financial assistance if you need it. For therapy, psychiatry, or victim support, we have appointments available today. Call For All Seasons, 410-822-1018. And folks, we are back with Mr. KD. I mean, he's telling us some amazing story about coming up from East Baltimore, hanging out in the Hollywood Hills, hanging out with Master P and James Dash, and you know, seeing the world at a young age and learning. And but let's talk a little bit about this book. It says, "Give me one more time, one more try." Sorry, how did this all come about? What what what, what made? Because everybody got a story, and you wrote it. You wrote it. So anybody's an author. Not much love because that means you took time to write out what you need to talk yeah, about. Give it, give it one more try, man. It, uh, it was being written. However, I, I had no clue it was being written. Mm-hmm. When, after my Motown day, so soon as we released our album, nine eleven hit. Mm-hmm. So our album came out September the sixteenth, <sighs> which wasn't wise at all to release an album. No, but we still was in the top the charts Mm -hmm. so we released three singles and all of our 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 two records charted right so i remember that day it's crazy but we um we released music and um we had all these things planned out we supposed to go to africa the music was playing it was moving everything was moving and um after that time Things started to shift after, you know, 9-11, the world just changed. I don't know if it was Y2K. I'm trying to remember back. There was a lot going on. It was a lot happening (laughs) in that year. So that was our big release. Mm -hmm. Um, Motown was ready to, you know, put millions in. And um, we started, we went out on our promo tour and all these different things. And Motown had committed to doing a second album. So we had worked with the top tier. I mean, like Tricky Stewart, who produced... uh, Beyonce uh, put a ring on it. Rihanna's mm. umbrella and all kinds of mega hits. We've, I mean, we work with everybody you could think of that was at the level. Teddy Riley, I mean, everybody. 
Um, and um, it was a lot of preparation for us to get that second album. The first album was the introduction, but the second album was to take us to the space, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the, the company had committed um, to doing that album. And at that time, um, back home in Baltimore, the the my family was banking on that. Because when we first got signed, we had got advances and mm -hmm. things like that, right? So I'm in New York, and I'm spending the advance money, uh, you know, being young, right? So after we changed management from Overbrook and we got out of the Interscope deal, um, it was this, it was his name was uh, oh my god, John Dukakis. He was our day to day manager at Overbrook, and we we so when we left L.A. We moved to New York. So I used to see Luther Vandross every day mm. because he had some friends in the building we was living on west 57th street right and uh eighth and ninth so it was a lot of different celebrities like midtown area right? and trump mm -hmm. used to come in there and mm -hmm. have coffee and uh macaulay calkins lived in the building across that burned down mm. if you remember he caused a fire or something over there so that was a cross wow. right so the 10 man from the Wiz wow. lived in our building um, so we moved to New York City. We was living in this like top tier Manhattan, twelve thousand dollar a month apartment. Then they moved us to East Manhattan. It was like fifteen thousand dollars a month. They was spending a lot of money on. It. And during that time, record companies would put money into developing. Mm -hmm. They would take care of you. Now it's like you got to get hot yourself on the internet. How mm. do you get hot? Where the money coming from? You know, how you build a career, and then they say, okay, now we'll work with you. Back then, they took you with pure royal talent. You could be working at McDonald's. If you got talent, they'll put a million dollars into you if they believed in you. Mm -hmm. You didn't need social presence. You didn't need any of this. It was pure talent, right? So the record company was ready to do the deal, and two of my group members just went missing. And I had $150,000 waiting on me. And um, I had promised my family that I would give them this money so mm. that they could, you know, I was going to be, you know, still in New York. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, I, I didn't have financial skills, so I blew all the money I had, you know, being young and enjoying myself, you know, buying all this stuff. And, you know, we had advanced money, we was getting money every month, and we might mm. have a couple of shows and things like that. But this money for my second album was like, okay, we about to be multimillionaires, so we're going to be touring and let me get this startup, nice advance, and, you know, a ton of shows and the celebrity life. So it didn't happen. We ended up losing our record deal. And two of the guys in the group vanished. Um, we didn't hear from them the day we were supposed to sign a deal. I lost the money. I never got it. My mom was home. My sister, um, she was having some issues. You know, my family was going through some things, and that hundred and fifty thousand was supposed to be a boost for my family. And that was in two thousand and two, and um, we ended up losing the deal. Motown dropped us. We lost our record deal. We still didn't hear from the two guys. You know, they went on with their own agenda, and um, it took about two years, two years, and then we heard from them. But by that time, I didn't know what getting dropped felt like. So we lost the deal. And then um, we reconnected. And then we ended up getting a single deal with Def Jam. And um, that was short-lived. And then after that, everything started spiraling down. 
Um, I started going through a lot of stress because think about it. I'm coming from East Baltimore and actually I'm the first person from the, from the, the hood of East Baltimore because Cisco not from the hood. Shout out to Cisco. <laughs> Woody not from the hood of East Baltimore. Mm. He from like Maryville area and stuff. I'm from like the hood projects. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love Drew Hill. Um, but I was the first person to get a record deal, a music deal from East Baltimore. Mm. Um, they, they didn't have anybody that was doing the kind of music that I did within doing our time. Right? right. So the whole community was riding on it. Right. But we um, at that time, everything just collapsed. And I started going downhill, man, you know, coming from East Baltimore, being exposed to having people like Pay LaBelle call my mother. Hey, how you doing? I'm here with your son. We had the Calvin Klein mansion, you know, I'm at, in, in New Jersey. I'm going to parties in Inglewood Cliffs mm. with, where Kamora Lee Simmons is at and Mike Tyson and all this big stuff. And, you know, we flying on planes and. You know, going all these places and, and, and living all these places, man, and meeting all these people. And, you know, and then it all went downhill like it never happened. And it's crazy because when I was home, my music was still playing on the radio. Mm. So I went into a dark place. And um, I had to make a decision if I was going to keep going or if I was going to quit. And just become somebody that was could have been great, right? And um, it's crazy because that was a super dark time, right? I tell people, I, I, I did an interview with a White House correspondent a couple of months ago. And um, he was talking about success. And I was telling, I said that I redefined success. The hardest time and the most success that I had when I made a decision to not give up. Mm. See, people think I'm having success now. No, I'm not. This is this stuff is easy. This is the simple. This is not impressive to me. I like it. I appreciate, it, but it's not impressive. What's impressive is when uh, your whole world crumbles down. You flat broke. You let you feel like you let your whole family down, right? You went from being on national TV, touring, doing all this stuff, right? I work with the top tier, done it all, been there, done that, been in every magazine, Vibe, Source, everything you can think of. I've been in all that stuff. To sitting around trying to figure out what you're going to do, and you're like, man, like, what my family going to do? So I had to fight for my life. So when I made a decision that I wouldn't quit despite, that's when I became a success. Mm. Because that took more energy, that took more more force that I had in me not to throw the towel in and say I tried never gonna be nothing that's when I became a success because I decided that I would fight for my life mm, I love that I love that and that's it's how the book came about then give it one more try and what was the reception when the book came out how did oh man it, it was a lot of emotions you know sometimes I, I I've had interviews and conversations man where I just had like a breaking point mm. because See, this this is the thing, and you you said something like I'm not into fake shit. You understand? Right. Right. I don't I don't I can't relate to it. I'm not an Instagram influencer. Mm-hmm. I'm not a social media social media influencer. I don't I don't have to bend over to like, meaning like I don't have to. I, people don't have to like me. 
I actually have talent, right? I come from a time where I don't need people to like me on social media. Mm -hmm. I made real music that touched people, right? But I also understand I was born with a gift. Back at those times, we knew that we had gifts. No different than Michael Jordan. No different than Whitney Houston. No different than uh, Oprah Winfrey. Mm -hmm. You know, no different than Wendy Williams. You know, no difference than you who has real talent, who's starting something that has real value. And I see it's growing, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a confidence that you have. Like, I don't need validation. I could deactivate my Instagram right now. Don't mean it's not going to do nothing. It's not going to change me making moves and making things happen, right? But I wouldn't do that because I want people to see because it's not about me. My social media is not about me. My social media, I want people to see what I'm doing and understand that the, the grass could be green on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. and, and there is light on the other side of the tunnel. So when I decided to do the book, the book was just a message that I've told myself for many years. Don't give up. Don't quit. You like, give it one more try. Mm. And, you know, that's that's how the book came about. And it's funny you say that because I have a son and that's why this podcast started because of him. I wanted him to learn that, you know what, just because you can't get what you want or can't get that first job, whatever, you keep on pushing. Yeah. And I wanted him to listen to people like yourself, people who are out there doing great things in society. And guess what? You didn't stop. You're going to make it work. You're going to make it happen. Don't give up. And that's very, and that kind of lines up with how this podcast started about not giving up and having my son. Because guess what? When he's 18, understand this, how this, understand everything that his dad is doing. It's like, damn, I recognize that story through me. Well, yeah. Wow, I went through that. And that's yeah. what's really about the podcast is yeah. talking about people like yourself who are doing great things. Thank you. So kudos to you for what you're doing. But we're gonna give you some more more shine. We haven't even started. We, I know, I know we <laughs> I know we're gonna do a part two for this, but yeah. let's talk about you're doing some major moves in Baltimore right now. Um uh disclaimer, I I I am partnered with Baltimore Peninsula, so on here so yeah, everybody knows that. Thank you. Uh, I saw you down the ball of Peninsula. I came up to you like, who is this guy? I was like, I just want to tell you I'm interviewing you very soon. You're doing big things. How did you connect with Miss Mary Ann Gilmartin? Like, down there. How did, like, because, I mean, you really made some, because everybody I've spoken to, they're like, we love him. Katie's the guy. He's the guy. That, that's some background from them. Talk about how that well, whole let me, let me, so, I'll, I'll tell you how crazy this is. So, we, we got to rewind this. Okay. So, man, so when my I decided to give it one more try, right. I started trying a bunch of stuff. Okay. Right? Without even knowing what the hell I was doing. So I started managing and doing, I started doing media and trying to do this and do that. And, like, I ended up producing season three of Ice Loves Coco, her fashion <laughs> show. It, it, like, I, I, I did, I was doing some stuff with Master P in L.A. that went left and, Man, I, I just started doing all. I started getting into reality TV and dealing with managing reality stars. Mm. <clears throat> it was just, it's crazy. I was just throwing stuff on the wall, seeing what stick, Sticks. right? So at the time, I was uh, working with Kevin Hart's ex-wife. And um, just like, what the hell was I doing with her? I was <laughs> trying to set up stuff, right? So I was just like, wherever I can put my hands on. And... Um, one day, uh, someone from the Oprah Winfrey Network reached out, and they was like, oh, we want to bring her on the show, but they had to go through me. 
to get her on the show. So I'm in L.A., right? And um, this is years back. And it was a young lady by the name of Pinky Cole. And she was uh, producing the Fix My Life show. She was working on the show, doing something, mm -hmm. right? And we connected. And she's like, damn, you from... When she, two, you know, we say two. Two, yeah. Facebook. She's like, you from Baltimore? I said, yeah, you from Baltimore? So it was no slutty vegan, none of that stuff. Right. And um, she was just doing TV. And then we just connected, right? And she was like, yo. I told her, I was like, you know I used to be in Prophet Jones. She's like damn, you was in Prophet Jones, like, oh, man, like, yo, y'all was dope, blah, 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 and she was like, what happened to y'all, I started telling her the story, and she was like, um, would y'all mind coming on the OWN Network, and I'm like, oh, man, that'd be dope, but unfortunately, you know, we wasn't able to pull it off, you know, I'm in a group, so there's right. a lot of components lot. <laughs> involved in that, and we just, it just, we were supposed to went on the Oprah Winfrey Network, and we just didn't pull it together, but I really, you know, appreciate her for loving the music that I put out and, and my music touching her, you know, seeing what I've accomplished coming from East Baltimore, right? And wanting to share with the world the story, right? So we um, we stayed in contact. She didn't have no slutty vegan or none of this stuff. She was still doing other things. And um, it's so funny because that relationship um, led me to a different road, right? So we're doing this interview, but we skipped over a whole lot of different steps. But I know it's just, you know, we're doing the interview. But anyway, so Pinky was having a lot of success, you know, during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny because... I remember I met with her and she's told me she had some pretty, like some good ideas on some things she wanted to do. And um, then she went back to, she went to Jamaica and she had came back, but she started having a lot of success during the pandemic. Right. And um, I was like, Hey, like you on fire, but I knew she was in Atlanta. It wasn't Baltimore. Right. So, I just um, really start, you know, I started working with her and um, I just started looking for opportunities. So the crazy part is there was an opportunity um, to speak at the mayor's youth conference. Mm. So I spoke at the mayor's youth conference. <clears throat> so it's funny how when you do things for others, it comes back in a way unimaginable. Right. And we talked to these kids who needed the conversations that we were giving to them and it was for the mayor shout out to the mayor for putting <coughs> these events together which mayor was this was right now oh brandon, brandon okay 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 yeah brandon scott we, we got a lot of them yeah <laughs> yeah it was mayor brandon scott he had okay. put something together for the youth and um it was a youth business or empowerment or something like so i was one of the speakers okay and um after we did the conference um, Shanir. Yep, Shanir, yep. She was leading the, um, the, with, for the speakers. So after it was over, she was like, hey, we're working on something at Port Covington or something. Yeah, Port Covington. I thought it was a school, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, that's school down in Harbor East. Right. And, um, she, uh, we, we met and she, she explained the whole vision for Baltimore. 
Mm. Now, it was funny because I had had a meeting at the time. I think it was the chief of staff or something at, at City Hall because I had a vision to have like Slutty Vegan and the M&T and the Oreos and all these places. I was like, oh, this could be when it come to Baltimore because Pinky was going to bring it to Baltimore anyway. Right, right. But it was like, well, if we're going to do it, let's go, you know, let's make it big. And she told me about that vision. And we had like a, a million meetings. And um, she was the one who really, really, really opened my eyes mm. to what was going on in Baltimore. I had no clue that this big billion dollar project <laughs> was underway. And that's how the <coughs> relationships all started. Mm. And um, I had, um, we had, a, I went on site to see everything. And then, um, you know, I met Marianne and, and Kevin first. And um, Marianne was really, really cool. And um, it, uh, the relationship just kind of just grew and grew. But Shania, she 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 turned the lights on, mm. and um, we just it took a long time, you know. We would have meetings, and then I called Pinky when it was. I said, "Yo, I got opportunity for you." <laughs> I say this is a big one, and um, I told her what was going on. I you know explained to her, and um, she came to Baltimore, and uh, we set up the meeting, and uh, the first meeting it was with Marianne and Ashley and and Shania and and a few other people there and um we had that meeting right and then more months went by Sounds about right <laughs> and then me and Shania, you know doing our thing and she's on the ground and then we figuring things out and um then the last meeting we had with kevin and then that was it mm. and uh, so me and her worked hand in hand to put this peninsula deal together this project together and um i fought on my end she fought on her end and um you know, we made it happen. And now this is history. Yes. It's massive history. This is this is the first time in history these, this kind of deal has happened. Because you got a young lady who has built a hundred plus million dollar company and is the biggest vegan brand in terms of a, a young African American woman in the United States. Mm -hmm. Nobody, no vegan brand is bigger than slutty vegan mm -hmm. period this mm. is public factual information mm -hmm. i don't make up information <laughs> i only repeat what's real it is the she is the hottest and the most popular vegan brand owned by a young african-american woman in the united states and um so bringing that element and she's from east baltimore and i'm from east baltimore right. bringing that element with a, a a big guy like a kevin plank and a, a monster like marianne gilmartin who did big deals with jay-z right right and right. then goldman the and sass yeah. and then you got mcfarland you talk <clears throat> about magic johnson and all this these is the top tiers all these billionaires you know coming together to create something great you know, so, man, I, I, I tell you this, look, if if had I gave up none of this, I wouldn't be right here. Right. And and this is my message. Right. So this interview, you know, my it, we, we would have to literally sit here for five hours for me to go over everything. Right. So let me say this along my journey. I didn't do it all by myself. Right. So it took a lot of different help, um, a lot of different help from different people. 
um, you know, along this journey. I have one of my friends, uh, Sheena Janelle Smith. She's uh, somebody that was a part of that journey, too. And I had, you know, different people who, when I was in transitional times, you might have needed different resources and and different help Mm -hmm. as you're going. So a lot of times you hear people say they self-made millionaires, right? Everybody's saying nobody's self-made. That's fake. Nobody's a self-made millionaire. When you're building and you're going on your journey, you're going to have help. You might need, when you're building a business or building a career, you're going to need help. You might need somebody, hey, I need to get to a meeting, right? And when you transition, you may not have the funds or, hey, I need someone to type up this document. I need someone to, I need to borrow this. I need to, it's so many different people that contribute to your road to success. And, and listen, I am on top. I know I'm on top. You know why? Not because people tell me, because I can feel it. Mm. I know what success feels like because I've had it at a young age. I know the feeling of it. But the difference now, I know how to manage it. I know how to handle it. And I know how to maximize it. Mm. At that time, I didn't know what to do with it. Coming out of East Baltimore, being on a million, billion dollar record label, that was a success. Right. But I didn't know what to do with it. Now I understand how to maximize and what to do with what I, where I'm at right now. And that's why I was able to do this Peninsula deal and, and every other in all the other things. You know, we I worked closely with Black Enterprise to put build that relationship. When you seen um, you know, the team on the front of Black Enterprise, I put that together. You know? And um but it's still at some point you get in the space, right? where the right team comes about and everybody can re- relate to each other. And we all have a certain kind of energy, right? And that energy creates greatness. So that's where I'm at now. I'm surrounded by people who have give it one more try stories, right? And um, who've had, who've been through many different situations. But like I say, this interview is not for me. I want people looking at this interview to, especially right now, it's a lot going on in the world. We got a lot of hate. We got a lot of people dealing with depression, anxiety. We got people who who want to who ready to give up. People dealing with financial issues, and you know, people going through a lot in this world right now. I just want people to know that despite what's going on in the world, you can have impact in the world around you. Hmm. Can't save the whole entire world, right? But you can make a difference in the world around you. And if you can make a difference in the world around you, that contribution eventually could spread. Right. Right? I'm mm. Mr. Give It One More Try. I'm from East Baltimore. Everything you hear on the news, all of them stories you see these young guys out here, I'm a stereotype. I wasn't supposed to make it. My father was in prison for 20 years. My mother was raising me until my stepfather came. Aunts and uncles in and out of prison. I'm from East Baltimore. I got family members that's been in the streets. I'm the same person that you see on the news every day. But you want to know what the difference was? I had one person to believe in me. Mm. That was the difference. Mm. One person. You don't need two people. You just need one person to believe in you. I'm that person that they talk about on the news. Them young kids. Because I used to sell air fresheners for my Aunt Molly. We used to sell them down the hill when I was little. But I'm that same old kid that they everybody looking down on them. 
oh, he's not going to be nothing. He come from this kind of community, this kind of neighborhood. His father in prison, write him off. No, look at me. I've been signed to three major record companies, been on major movie soundtracks, got to travel the world, work with all kinds of amazing people, been able to help other people, and now I'm doing creating billion-dollar partnerships. Mm. I don't think, hey, I, I think I think you said it all right there. That was a great way to wrap it up. And how can people find this book? Uh, give it one more try. It's at Walmart. It's at Amazon. It's at Barnes and Nobles. It's where all fine books are sold. All, all right, my books are go online, and most people order from Amazon. Got you. So, got you. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to work with you, or maybe oh, uh, maybe wanted to you know collab with you? Uh, so I'm, I'm so I'm on social media. Okay. At the real KD McNair. Okay. I'm on social media. Uh, that's a way to interact with me. Do you website or anything like that? No. Or? Okay. Mo- most of, so most of the business that I do, I've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's more, I'm not like out like looking for a lot of business. I'm more focused, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I haven't built my business off of, hey, you know, giving out a million business cards and all that kind of stuff, right? What I have is a gift. This is special. Right? This is not for everybody. But I'm willing to, to to utilize it when it needs to be utilized. But I have a special gift and I know it. Just how I see things, you know, my thinking and, and just some of my ideas and concepts. All right. Well, we're going to say IG one more time. So At the real KD McNair. All right. Folks, you heard it here. Thank you, sir, for hanging out with No Pixar Dark Podcast. We're going to do a part two for sure. Well, let's Definitely do, do a part two. We're going to do it at the Peninsula. Even better. Yeah, you had a residency, residency right? <laughs> got something. We got something going on down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing big business. Appreciate you. I really appreciate you taking time out your day for coming here and just really explaining everything and breaking it down. Because I know you've done a million of these, but now you did a million one. And I appreciate because my audience now has learned and heard your story. No, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. People love peace. We're out. <laughs>